This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex reasons. He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist Thomas. Hi Thomas. Yeah, g'day Adam. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Don't forget there's still time to register for the ASX share trading game that we're taking part in. We'd love you to join in with us. Gameplay starts on the 3rd of March, so make sure you get signed up, get registered uh, and have a bit of fun along with us. But Thomas, massive show coming up, lots to get through. We're going to be taking a look at buy now, pay later companies, and they're actually set to join Married at First Sight next season as they attempt to find love again, uh, having found themselves totally unloved by investors. We're going to take a look at what's going on at Lark Distilling. Turns out not everybody likes ice with their whiskey. The Aussie dollar is falling. Gary sent us a message uh, at CVE Podcast and wants to know what that means for buying US stocks. And you know the property market is out of control when a doghouse is selling for $300,000. We'll take a look at why that's selling for so much. But first, Thomas, everyone's panicking about inflation, not BHP. They've rolled out the iron carpet, it would seem. What's the the deal there? Uh, Yeah, BHP reported their results. yeah, good result for BHP. They're pretty happy. The underlying profit of $9.7 billion in six months. That's a, wow. not a bad hourly rate if you calculate that. <laughs> um, they bumped their dividend too. So they analysts were expecting $1.24, US $1.24 per share, but they bumped that up to $1.50. So yeah, nice if you're owning BHP shares. But yeah, but they're saying the strong results obviously driven by uh, iron ore prices, which is through the roof, but also for coke and coal and copper prices. So yeah, they're, they're riding the commodity boom. I think their share price is up 25% since November. What's BHP making these days? They're still just in, in digging up the ground? Like, because if you look at their ads, have you seen any of their, mm, their TV ads? No, no. They're like, you'd swear they were in renewables. Like, there's like sunshine and green <laughs> trees and leaves and, and like, you know, I'm going to say that they're kind of, maybe it's a bit of a stretch. Obviously, it's a conscious effort to rebrand themselves. Mm. Um, but they're kind of like, you know, we're getting all this electricity from the sun now and, and it's our copper that's helping, you know, shift that electricity around the grid. Mm. It's kind of like, yeah, I, I get it, but it's, it'd be like, like melting asphalt to make the roads and then claiming that you're behind the electric car revolution, you know? <laughs> like, uh, well, yeah, it's got to make it happen. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, ESG is definitely a thing. Like investors are putting a lot of pressure on on companies. We saw that with Canon Brooks and the AGL takeover this week. It's pretty, pretty nuts. But yeah, it's like I think companies mm. are feeling the pressure, and they've got to sort of at least rebrand to be a bit greener, if not deliver some results. But I don't, I don't know what BHP is mm. doing on that front. All right, so you're getting a dollar fifty per share, and share price is forty eight bucks. That's three percent already, just on just on dividend alone. That's pretty sweet. Mm. Yeah, it's a good result, and they're, and they're pretty bullish. They were pretty, you know. I mean, obviously the commodity price is booming along are pretty good. They did mention that there's industry wide costs are putting pressure on profits, saying that some commodity linked uncontrollable costs have gone to record highs, and they're expecting those the cost profile to remain challenging through the 2020 calendar year, particularly around supply bottlenecks. So inflation's you know definitely definitely having an impact. But they reckon the chief executive Mike Henry came out and said. They're looking at a decade of inflation. They say, do we expect there to be a degree of permanency to this? Certainly, yes, he said. But he thinks it's going to be, we think that demand-led inflation, so, so, so we're, at the moment we're in a supply shock. It's, it's supply-side stuff, it's, it's bottlenecks in the supply chains, all of that. That's what's driving price increases. But he sees it moving to more of a demand pool inflation where there's sort of so much heat in the economy that that starts driving, um, driving prices higher. And he reckons that's that's broadly positive for commodities. So as the economy ramps up, people need more commodities to do the economic mm. stuff they do, uh, and that's good for for BHP. And so he reckons that the BHP will be able to be able to stay on top of their supply chain cost pressures, uh, but and then ride the wave of of greater demand in the economy for good times. Right. Ahead. So while so inflation's is posing a problem for a lot of companies, a lot of organizations, but they're just kind of saying that no, we're, we're, we've, we're running a really tight ship. We're kind of, we're on top of it. We can handle any of those, those increases in cost, uh, and just keep smashing it. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. That's, that's the idea. I mean, commodity producers are nice and they're at the top of the supply chain. Like they're not totally dependent on, I mean, they, they face labor costs and some other sort of costs, but largely it's just digging stuff up out of the, out of the ground and shipping it around and so that like economy-wide price pressures don't hit commodity producers as much as they might hit hit like tech manufacturers or something that are sort of more in the middle of those supply chains so it's so it's generally sort of good for for commodity producers mm. and what's their reliance on you know like we've talked a lot about china on this show and struggles of Evergrande and the potential collapse of of you know the building industry in china so what's what's china and other countries kind of role here like do, does bhb have a reliance on those are those countries for success uh, yeah i mean it's definitely been a big part of the demand story is is um china's build out like particularly you zoom out and look over the past 20 years the, you know the massive urbanization of the chinese population that's been you know and the, all the building that's gone along with that that's been incredibly supportive of commodity prices and, and really good for companies like bhp there, yeah, there is a sense that that might be unwinding now. Like new property sales in China are just through the floor now. Like the, the property sector is mm. in, a, in a massive freeze, not quite a crash yet. So yeah, that, that's got to be weighing on the outlook, you would think. But so far, you know, iron ore prices are still soaring. Like commodity prices are quite high at the moment. It's, so it doesn't seem to be, the, the China story doesn't seem to be impacting that just yet. I saw a, um, an article the other day that, China was building this, well, 
I think it's Gangju Evergrande was like the is the soccer team of of the Evergrande <laughs> company. So they had they had big big future ahead. They were building a stadium that was gonna like it was gonna be bigger than Wembley. It was the biggest gonna be the biggest football stadium in the world, and that's just they've just canned it mm. like one third of the way in they're just like wow. nah we're just gonna park that so <laughs> it's just this, this massive unfinished stadium um which who knows if it'll if it'll ever get completed yeah anyway did you have anything else you wanted to mention about bhp while we're looking at it uh, no no that, that's it that's all i had pretty boring break all in all <laughs> moving right along all right, we're going to take a look at Buy Now, Pay Later. And they were, Thomas, once they were the darlings of the ASX, now they definitely seem like they're on the nose. What's going on with Buy Now, Pay Later? Yeah, so Buy Now, Pay Later as a sector is a bit exposed, it seems. I'm reading a bit of, bit of analysis lately saying that Buy Now, Pay Later is a bit exposed to rising interest rates. Because you think about their business model. So they, they borrow at sort of, sort of the benchmark rates plus a plus a premium depending on the the credit quality of their loan book so like mm. yeah so it's like the you know so those those floor interest rates plus a plus a margin that's what they borrow at and then they lend that out effectively even though they're not technically providing credit but they lend it out to them <laughs> for anyone anyone listening you can't see thomas he's just done about six air quotes in a row <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So no, they, yeah. So they're they they're, they're lending out in in quotes uh, money to their to their to their users, um, and then there's sort of a margin there that they get, even though they're not receiving interest. A lot of them just refi- receive a service fee. Um, mm. Yeah. But look, effectively, they're in the credit business, and their costs are rising. But because interest rates are rising, so yeah, like the bank bill swap rate, that's that's sort of their one of their their anchor rates. That's up a full. 100 basis points um so that that's their costs are rising but they're not able to fully pass that on to their to their consumers partly because of their fee model rather than an interest model um and and some other sort of reasons but so it basically means that their margins are getting compressed when interest rates go up their margins get compressed and that means that they become less profitable so a firm who's a big buy now pay later company in the states they reckon that for every 100 basis points interest rates go up the, you know, those benchmark rates go up they see a 40 40 basis points fall in their profit margins and so falling profit margins obviously not a great story and a firm's results were interesting their recent results so they, their revenue was up 77 percent and their active users were up 150 percent to 11.2 million so on those numbers, that sh- that should be that's going going great guns. Revenue up seventy seven percent, active users up one hundred and fifty percent. This is a firm, the the US buy now pay later one, one of the giants in the US, right? Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, so th- th- those should be great results, but their margins were down from fifty point eight percent of revenue to forty two point eight percent of revenue, which is quite a big fall, and markets freaked out about that, and their share price fell like forty five percent. Um, wow. Mm, so yeah, so falling margins are often, you know, t- typically a, a, a sell signal. It's either that there's strong competitive pressure, which I think there is a bit in the buy now pay later space because you've got a lot of lot of entrants in the in the market now, or it's got there's some structural problems, and that's those structural problems coming through with with rising interest rates. And so that's going to get harder to like that's going to get harder to attract new business, obviously, because they're going to have to. In some way, they're going to have to pass those costs on, aren't they? Like through the the service fee, that's going to have to go up. Do you think? Do you think this is the end of the buy now pay later experiment? 
<laughs> in a sense that you know it was it was like the great savior and the great alternative to to credit and mm. to credit cards and that kind of thing is it something that can only work in a really a hyper low interest environment yeah maybe i don't know about not necessarily about low but maybe just stable like mm. you sort of you know you you lock in your service fee around a particular interest rate you're getting you're getting money at a particular price and and your service fee kind of works with that but then if interest rates go up you just if they just change then that that affects your the, the margins that you're getting um mm. and that's sort of what we're what we're seeing i mean th- th- so there's that there's that issue for buy now pay later there's a second issue which is the credit quality death spiral so at, like so we've got the uh, in, in an inflationary environment so everyone's facing higher costs interest rates are going up so that means student loans car loans mortgage rates are going up inflation's going up so that's eating into the budget so consumers are feeling feeling the pressure and then if buy now pay later increases their rates to try and to try and buffer up those margins the more responsible users or the users that don't have to use it will just pull out mm. because they've got other costs they've got to deal with and the fees are going up for buy now pay later so they're just going to go i'm just going to pull out of that and that what what that means is that the quality of your user base starts to degrade because you sort of left all your good quality your higher you know your quality borrowers the ones with high credit scores they start leaving your service and then left with a greater concentration of lower quality credit score users which that creates a problem and because the the mar- like the the cost of capital for the buy now pay later companies that's in part determined by the quality of their loan book loan book again in air, in air quotes um so there kind of becomes a bit of a death spiral because then that pushes up the the rates for the cost of capital for buy now pay later so they have to increase their margins which further pushes the quality borrowers out of the system again which means they have their cost of capital goes up which means they have to push up their mm. prices again and so you get this kind of death spiral dynamic happening and I don't you know I don't know how serious it is but i think it's a bit of a problem for them and i think the market has turned like definitely sentiment has turned there were darlings but you look at in america the numbers are crazy so zebit is down 95% from its ipo laybuy is down 91% from its ipo uh zipco's down 77% sezzles down 83% over the past year so yeah it's a big it, there's definitely a sell off in buy now pay later happening and yeah i think maybe i don't, I don't, I don't know if it's dead but uh, i think like it's i mean fundamentally it seems to me buy now pay later is just credit in a different package and credit's been around forever so that's not going anywhere whether buy now pay later as a way to brand and deliver credit sticks around or has to evolve i'm not sure we'll have to see it's tough too because you mentioned you know that you're going to have lower quality borrowers subprime borrowers maybe you might call them mm. um so presumably they're going to start defaulting on some of their debts too right so but buy now pay later unlike traditional credit where you think of you know if you want to go get a loan typically there's a minimum kind of financed amount so you got to get you know you want to buy a car maybe it's 20 grand or even a holiday maybe it's five grand you know there's usually a minimum whereas the attraction of buy now pay later was always like you know you could borrow you buy now you buy a pair of shoes (laughs) you know like if people start defaulting on their pairs of shoes there's nothing you can go and reclaim and sell. Like you can't go. What are we just going to list a, a pair of used Reeboks on on marketplace or something? Like the, these companies have got nothing that they can claw back from the consumer. Like mm-hmm. you know, if if I lend you money to buy a car 
and you can't pay the the loan anymore mm. i can just sell the car and at least get some of my money back i imagine all of these companies that have just sold like fragrances and mm-hmm. <laughs> and shoes and god knows what else on buy now pay later it's going to be like well have you got any money no i haven't that's why i used you <laughs> i used i used buy now pay because i didn't have any money i still haven't got any money and i've worn out the shoes that i bought so <laughs> i think they're screwed yeah. all right thomas mm-hmm. gary messaged us uh, i think it was via facebook or instagram at cbe podcast uh hey guys love the show don't know if this question is relevant relevant to economics exactly but for au investors wanting to invest in u.s stocks how should we view changing aud into usd when the dollar is so low at the moment to buy shares does it matter or is it all relevant to the time we might sell in the future thomas yeah uh the question is the short answer is yes it is relevant um, if you're investing in US stocks, depending on how you do it, but like if you're going into like a US broker, like a stake in Australia or something like that, then you've got to convert your currency first when you deposit your money. Um, and so the exchange rate matters there. And same story mm. on the other side of the trade, when you, when you bring it back, if you sell your holdings and bring it back to Aussie dollars, you, you've got an exchange rate sort of question there as well. So short answer is yes. Yes, it does matter. Um, Hmm. Right. Oh, done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that I mean, it happened a lot. I think there was a lot of this with the boom that we saw, sort of immediately following COVID or after COVID. You know, what do we have? The V-shaped during the recovery, and all the companies like Netflix and all the fangs really took off. I remember there was a lot of people saying that they hadn't actually made a lot of money because of the the exchange rate was kind of eating into a lot of those profits. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of a question. I mean, on the long run, like I think you couldn't, you you could potentially time it. Like you sort of know if you're not too sensitive to it. And that's the nice thing about being a retail investor. You don't typically you're not looking to get in and out too quickly. I mean, mm. like some some people are. Depends on how you play it. But you know, the Aussie dollar typically moves within a band. Like it gets down as low as fifty cents, and it gets up as high as a dollar, dollar something at at its at its extremes, and then. You know, over over the long run, tends to sort of oscillate around seventy seventy five cents. So you got a fairly idea the kind of range, good idea of the range that it's moving in. It's not going to twenty five cents. It's not going to two dollars. Not anytime soon. And so you can sort of like you know maybe yeah load up when it gets to the top of that band. If it gets to sort of the high eighties or nineties or something, if we get that, and if it gets down into the mid sixties, maybe that's a good time to sort of bring some money money back. <laughs> Aren't you, aren't you effectively then just forex trading by proxy though? <laughs> like I'm gonna buy, I'm gonna buy shares when the dollar's low, and I'm gonna sell them when the dollar's high. Like you're like, you might. I think maybe forex trading might be the might be the play for you if that's your go. Yeah, but I mean, but that's the thing, right? Like if you're investing in US shares, you are effectively taking a position on the currency. You are you are forex trading. You have a currency risk and your your share price risk. You've got both of those. The question is whether you do it consciously or not. Like you might just go like, I'm just going to ignore the currency risk and just assume that it's going to balance out in the long run if I'm just sort of like consistently buying, you know, American stocks when I have, when I have the chance, when I have the money, uh, and then I'll just trust that it'll, it'll come out in the wash eventually and I won't worry too much about it. You could do it like that. But yeah, but but you could also do it the other way, and some people do recommend. Like when there's some traders I know that say, you know, when Aussie dollar gets down to mid to low sixties, it's a good time to go for U.S. stocks. Particularly if you've got a good view on a U.S. stock that you like, 
you're mm. going to like, yeah, I'm going to take that stock risk, but I'm also willing to take the exchange rate risk because the exchange rate, given its sort of historical valuations, is looking pretty good right now. Yeah. I had a look at the dollars dropped from, it was about 80 cents a year ago and it's now down to 72 cents. Mm. So, yeah. It's not huge, but it's going to make a bit of a difference. Make it, yeah. So what's the yeah. so what's the play then for if the is the dollar going to continue heading low? Is that what we're going to see? Uh, this is yeah. This is the really interesting question right now, and it, it kind of it swings on terminal rates. So terminal rates is like so you know the developed world, pretty much the whole world is hiking interest rates now. At some point they're going to, that's going to top out and they'll stop hiking rates. The point at which they stop hiking rates is called the terminal rate. And so you're hearing a lot of discussion now about what's the Fed's terminal rate, what's the RBA's terminal rate. If The interesting thing is if you look at market pricing now, what, what the market's expecting rates to do, the US terminal rate is 1.87%. The Australian terminal rate is 2.47%. So it's like 50 basis points higher, 60 basis points higher, even though the inflation outlook is completely different. Inflation's running at 7.5% in America. It's 2.6% here. So it's a little bit hard to square that away. A lot of people are saying this is a bit of a puzzle. You know, you know on, that, on that measure, in 14 months, Australia has the highest interest rate in the developed world even though inflation's right. running very low. So it's sort of like it doesn't really make sense. But if that was to play out and we had a higher interest rate than the US, then that puts upward pressure on the US dollar because if Aussie dollars are returning more, people want more of them and that pushes the price up. So a higher interest rate differential in favour of Australia starts drawing money into Australia and that pushes the Aussie dollar up. But I don't really know that many many economists who think that we got, that's going to play out. CBA is saying the terminal RBA set terminal rates one point two five percent, and so if the Fed gets to one point eight seven, close to two percent, we're at one point two five. That should put downward pressure on the Aussie dollar. So the RBA is bloody lying again, are they? <laughs> are they up to their old tricks? <laughs> well, no, no one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. The RBA has got has got nothing to do with this. This is markets pricing in, so you can sort of you can track. Yeah, but the RBA has got a. Had to, weren't they the ones that? Isn't it their forecast, or is it the market's forecast? The terminal rate. The terminal yeah. rate's the markets. That's what the market reckons. Oh, the RBA it's not the RBA. No, no. Right. No, the RBA is keeping that to their chest. They, they're not. They're not keen to tell you where they think the terminal rate's going to be. <laughs> Why would they? <laughs> <laughs> No one believed them about interest rate increases before. So the short answer to your question there is, who knows? Like if you, you know, the, the the current price of exchange rate is based on the collective market's view of where the future of all of these factors, which means that they think that the current price is fair value. How the situation unfolds from here will determine what what that is. But right now, that seems that's. The current price is always the market's best guess at what fair value is. Does that make sense? Mm. And that guess changes as circumstances evolve. So it's convenient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't tell you what's going to happen. We can only tell you what's happening right now. That could be the motto for CVE. <laughs> All right, let's take a short break there, grab a word from this week's sponsor and be back with more Comedian versus Economist right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. Don't forget, you can always send us an email, cve at equitymates.com or via the website, equitymates.com forward slash cve. And you can also, of course, find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at CVE Podcast. Thomas, uh, there's a bit of trouble brewing at... Uh, a... <laughs> Would have been so much better if this was a, a beer operation rather than a whiskey one. But anyway... Uh, there's trouble at Lark Distilling this week. Uh, the whiskey maker's CEO had to step down after footage emerged of him smoking what appeared to be an ice pipe. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Thomas, before we get into this, I just want to ask you, can I make jokes about it or is that like, you know, is this, is there anything off limits? I just want to gauge how open you are to sharing a defamation lawsuit with me <laughs> before we... <laughs> <laughs> yeah no you run your own show i think we'll, we'll, we'll all right keep it at arm's length for a bit. Uh, all right well maybe you, you you tell us tell us what's going on at lark distillery yeah well no yeah it was the managing director jeff bainbridge um yeah the, so lark distilling's a tasmanian whiskey maker publicly listed uh, he was the victim of a shakedown, in his words, in Southeast Asia in 2015. He was over on a holiday uh, and someone took, got some footage of him smoking an ice pipe, apparently. He said, I attended a gathering with people I didn't know and don't remember much about that night. Hang on, was someone else holding the ice pipe? <laughs> I don't know. It's a tough, tough defence when you're sitting there. <laughs> I don't, let's leave that for the courts. Yeah. But well, I don't think he's denying I mean, it. So, well, the, the, yeah, the next morning I was played footage which, which made it clear I'd been set up as part of a shakedown. And he, like he, this was 2015, and since then he's, he's paid, paid them some money. He engaged a London-based threat assessment agency uh, and then mm-hmm. eventually just stopped replying to the blackmailers who then released videos to the media outlets. Yeah, and saying, although I consider right. myself a victim of a crime, I accept that I'm also responsible for the circumstances I find myself in. I'm a victim of ex- extortion, but that wouldn't have occurred without my poor judgment. I'm deeply remorseful for my actions. So he is taking responsibility for it. He has stepped aside. I, I think I we certainly don't want to condone illegal drug use here on Comedian versus Economist. But I think you can kind of see, you know, like if you work in a whiskey distillery all day and you get home and you want to relax... <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to feel like pouring yourself a whiskey is all I'm saying. <laughs> maybe you feel like, maybe I'll just go for a quick ride on the Polar Express and just unwind after a busy day of 
<laughs> of whiskey dealings. That's, you know, I think we shouldn't judge him too harshly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, because yeah. he's not, I mean, you know, he's a whiskey dealer to begin with. Like, he's, he's not exactly starting at the top of Moral Mountain, are we? You know, we're, yeah. we're selling booze if we, if we boil it down. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, as I say, not condoning illegal mm-hmm. drug use by any stretch. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tricky thing being, you know, a public figure effectively, like as the managing director and you're, you're kind of in the news and you've got to front for the company, you've got to meet with investors. I think, I think, I don't think it's like it's an issue per se. <laughs> are, you, are you saying it's just something to get him through his investor meetings? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I got this. I got this earnings call in fifteen minutes. I might just <laughs> no. But like, if you if you're the managing director of a public company, you know you're representing the company. People want to know that you you know they're investing in you. You're managing their mm. money effectively. Yeah, true. They want to know that you're going to do a good job on it. That you're not going to blow it all on ice down at the <laughs> RSL or something. Yeah. yeah, true. So I think I think that's where it became untenable. It's an interesting question, though. It's an interesting question, though, is how long are you responsible for the sins of the past? Mm. Like, I mean, because this happened in 2016, so... Mm, 15, yeah. Um, 2015, sorry. So six years ago. So, and you know, absolutely not the right thing to be doing, but, it, but that was before he was CEO. It was before managing he was director working of, or involved, yeah. uh, managing director. Mm. Before he was involved in this company, maybe it was on his job description at his previous gig. Like, <laughs> attend, attend meth parties <laughs> and occasional travel. <laughs> like, you know, he's part of a crypto startup. That's how easily it can happen. Yeah. Um, no, well, we saw we saw it with with Grace Tame as well. So she was she was there was that photo circulating the media recently with her sitting next to a bong, and and that obviously photo was taken a long time ago, and it's the same sort of deal. Like, how long do you? Because there'd be incriminating photos of everyone, I'm sure, out there doing something to varying degrees of criminality or mm. or otherwise. So you know, God, if some of my I don't know. There's bound to be photos of me out there that I'd rather not get out. Mm. Um, but you know, because we're all we're all a bit young and reckless in our younger days. Like, how mm. how long do you kind of you know, or is that just the world we're living in now, where you need to have a, a squeaky clean image yeah, from I, your past as well as your present? Yeah, my sense is that this is shifting. This is my view, and I reckon Trump mm. sort of brought this in. You know, like the whole remember that whole grab them by the pussy kind of quote like yeah. when that first emerged everyone was like ah that's it he's done that's the end of trump you know you can't as a politician as a presidential candidate you can't be on the record talking about grabbing women by the pussy but he just rolled with it and went like yeah that's who i am you know and so i think i, th- I think the sort of the outrage i think we might be sort of reaching a peak and people are like oh yeah people just did stuff and i kind of think like as you're saying like he's a he's the managing director of a of a of a whiskey company he was on holidays in asia somewhere some weird stuff happened i kind of feel like most people are a bit like yeah i get it you shouldn't have done it yet you messed up but does it really affect your performance as managing director maybe maybe people start to look through it on the trump thing though i don't think anyone i don't think anyone accepted that and condoned i think it was just he had a large supporter base that like thought that that made him cool somehow which is Mm. horrific in its own way and so yeah, I I don't know. I think that's a 
to me, that's a different thing. That's not that's not forgivable. Whereas Grace Tame, for example, smoking a bong, you just go, man, that's that's you know, that's reckless kind of. Mm-hmm. That's just something you probably a lot of people would have done, you know, when they're younger. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I mean, I think it was interesting with perennial value management. They own like a ten percent stake in Lark, and so mm. you know, what Bain, Bain, Mr. Bainbridge quit, and the share price fell from four dollars fifty-five down to three dollars sixty. So they got a tank. They got a bit of a schlacking there. Um, but Lark was like, yeah, whatever. This is fine. Saying that he said, said uh, Lark is a thirty-year-old company. Jeff was there for two years. Uh, and they've got a whiskey inventory worth 430 million at maturity, well ahead of today's market cap, and that was their statement on it. And so this was saying like, yeah, it's a small issue, it's yeah, problem, whatever he's got on. That doesn't mean there's a problem with the company. And I feel I, I thought it was really interesting they're pointing to the whiskey inventory at 430 million. So their Lark's market cap's currently 270 million. So their inventory is worth more than their current market cap, and it gets a bit like uh, Warren Buffett's cigar butt stocks if you remember that mm. so warren buffett talked about like when he when he was uh, in his early days as an investor he went after cigar butt companies like companies that had a lot of problems but they're like one one last finding a cigar butt on the on the street and there's only one love one last puff in it um but that because you got it for a bargain that pop, that puff is all profit um, and saying that, saying so, perennial sort of saying like, Lark's a bit like that. Like, even if they just wound up the company tomorrow, they've got that much inventory on you know, on hand that they're worth more than their entire market cap. So you can't really go wrong. So like, why would we get out? Like, even if we thought this was a big problem with company culture and whatever, rather than just one guy messing up, even even if, even if that was the case, the inventory is worth so much that you can't really go wrong. And maybe Bainbridge thought the same thing. He just was walking around at the party. He saw an ice pipe on the ground with one puff left <laughs> in it. And he thought, <laughs> just finish it off. You're a profit. You're a profit. All right, Thomas, finally, uh, Christie's Auction House is auctioning a dog house. And it doesn't even come with a dog. And they reckon <laughs> it's going to fetch $300,000 at auction. Mm. Man. What a good boy. I wish my dog would fetch me $300,000. Um, why is this doghouse so so valuable? Yeah, that's a special one because it was, it was in Costa Rica and it got hit by a meteorite um, and put a hole in its roof. So it's a pretty no-frills-looking shelter. It's pretty basic, as you expect a doghouse to be, just some, like, second-hand <laughs> corrugated iron. I don't think we should spend too much time explaining a doghouse to people. I think it's, <laughs> it is very much your run-of-the-mill doghouse. It just got hit by a meteorite. Yeah. Worth pointing out, the dog is fine, though. Yeah, um, Rocky. Coincidentally, though, the, yeah, Rocky. It was it missed, Space Rock just missed Rocky, the mm. dog. Right, so it got hit by a meteorite. and that, So what would have – you couldn't have given it away, probably. You wouldn't have mm, – you would have got previously. 20 bucks for mm. it on Gumtree or whatever. And now it's going to be $300,000. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it has been mounted on an AstroTurf platform. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of well, value add there. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't interested at $20, but now you've put artificial lawn underneath it. 300000 seems about right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, like I didn't realize this, but like meteorite close calls are incredibly rare. 
Like no one has ever mm. been on in history that we know of has ever been killed by a meteorite falling out of the sky on top of them. There was right. there was one woman in Alabama back in 1954 who got hit by something and got a severe bruising. But yeah, because it came through her roof. But that, apart from that, that's it. I'll be cancelling my meteorite life insurance policy there, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there have been some other... There's a bit of a precedent for this too. So there was a, a mailbox that was struck by a meteorite which sold for some ridiculous figure. 83,000. Um, 83,000, mm. thank you. Interestingly though, <laughs> there was a meteorite that struck and killed a cow mm. and the meteorite, the rock that hit the cow, only sold for 5,000. Mm. So... So the meteorite themselves is not is not seemingly the thing that's of value here, which is a bit puzzling. It's the thing that it hit, which mm. you know, in the case of the doghouse, is fine. So yeah, it's interesting that this cow that got killed by a meteorite, the rock only sold for five thousand k. The stakes, however, thousand dollars a kilo. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. I don't. I don't know. Although I'd love to see that on an ad for like Hungry Jacks or something. You know how they describe how juicy and delicious their patties are? Just be like, we only use the finest cuts, the flame grilled, juicy, tender beef you can only get from a cow that's been smashed into by a meteorite. Like that's that's a burger that I would buy. I think I think it's the cool factor. Like you know, if you have it in your mansion, if you're dropping three hundred thousand, you've obviously got a mansion. You know, you put like, mm. look at this doghouse got hit by a meteorite. Maybe you're actually going to put a dog in it. That would be pretty cool. You can show your friends, mm. look at this doghouse got hit by a meteorite. It's not as cool like to be in the study going, look at this rock. This rock fell out of the sky and killed a cow. Everyone's like, oh. Yeah. Oh, oh that's a bit morbid. That's, oh, that's sad. <laughs> you'd, but you'd have to have a sign in the front of your house, the doghouse inside your mansion that said like the dog was okay you'd need that disclaimer because if you just got like a it's a pretty grim looking scenario it looks like a um <laughs> something out of like csi miami or whatever where it's just be like it looks like a like a murder scene yeah. where there's just an empty dog house with a meteorite <laughs> hole in the roof everyone would be like oh man it must have been the house his dog lived in until it was killed by a meteorite <laughs> he's obviously kept it as a shrine to his long lost best friend uh, just put some police tape around the outside of it. <laughs> a little chalk sketch uh, anyway, of the dog uh, out the front. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, we better wrap it up there. I've got to go and move my doghouse onto the lawn. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us once again on Comedian versus Economist. Don't forget you can check out a range of great shows across Equity Mates Media. Get started investing, Equity Mates Investing Podcast. You're in good company. Talk money to me, crypto curious, and just another reminder once again to join us for the ASX share market trading game. There's still time to register, uh, get involved, and have some fun. That's it for us. We'll talk to you again soon. See ya. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. 
In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.